Well, welcome back. Hope you had a rich time uh, before the Lord. Um, in our continuing series on the road to the cross, we're coming to an encounter this morning between Jesus and one of 10 lepers that he has healed on his way to Jerusalem. That can be summed up in two words, grace and gratitude, and what it means to fully understand God's grace, and then in response to live a grateful life, to have our character shaped and molded in such a way that we exhibit qualities of joy and thanksgiving more consistently by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There's a verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. Well, before we get started, I have to confess that's difficult for me for two reasons. One, um, if I'm honest, um, gratitude, at least for me, does not come easily, even in the most normal of circumstances. Um, just It does for some, but just for me, not as easily. I was sitting at my computer, hunkered down over the kitchen table, <clears throat> and mumbling and grumbling to myself, and Linda walks by and she says, you seem grumpy and stressed. And I says, well, yes, I am grumpy and stressed. And she says, well, what are you grumpy and stressed about? And I said, I'm writing this sermon. And she said, what are you writing this sermon about? And of course I said, what it means to give thanks in all circumstances. And she said, well, then let me get this straight. You are grumpy and stressed while you're trying to write a sermon about giving thanks in all circumstances. And I said, yes, what's your point? And she just said, oh, nothing, and walked away. Not really. She encouraged me in the moment to walk the talk and it's easier said than done so it doesn't come naturally for me and maybe it doesn't come naturally for you to just be a person of gratitude to have that kind of perspective there are probably lots of reasons for that but the second reason quite honestly is if we're honest about our circumstances today they're really surreal um, they are circumstances that test our faith and test our ability to be grateful when we look at the circumstances that we face. It calls into question the providence and promise of God. I was reminded of this in an article that Linda shared with Ruth Haley Barton that speaks to, even in this time, our ability to see occasions for gratitude where heretofore we might have missed them. I mean, think about it in the last few days. You might have become grateful when you have been able to buy a bar of soap or toilet paper, things that heretofore you would take for granted or under these circumstances with social distancing, you're grateful for the fact that your kids are alive by the end of the day and have actually sort of seemed to enjoy being around one another. Maybe you've enjoyed extra time with your spouse. Maybe you've been able to enjoy a walk. Maybe you've enjoyed richer time for the Lord. If you're on the road commuting, maybe you're welcoming the opportunity to be at home and to find your rest in Him. So even in this time, there are occasions where we see things differently and maybe with greater joy and gratitude. But we also have to be honest and say that this is a time of deep sadness for many personally in our community. There's unemployment, there's lost savings, there's dashed dreams, there's canceled events, canceled graduations, birthday parties. You can't go to funerals. You can't visit your elderly parents businesses, ministries, shutting your doors, and, of course, the deep loss that we experience with the health crisis that we're in. And so when we talk about gratitude, maybe the most important message today is to recognize that these two rivers of gratitude and sadness 
in the Christian faith actually coexist together. I've always sort of thought more about this idea of a pendulum from blessing to trial, from delight to doubt or despair. But maybe the point of this passage is that they coexist together. Sort of like the fact that the tears that we experience of sorrow and of joy come from the same place. And this morning, maybe that's the most important message for us, is to acknowledge that gratitude and grief coexist, that we are to give thanks in all circumstances because fundamentally, the only way we could do that is to come to the one who is our source of hope and trust, and that's Jesus. And then we do that this morning as we encounter his word to let him instruct our hearts and our minds of what it means to be a grateful people, yes, in all circumstances. So, Jesus, we look to you this morning to be our hope and stay, our confidence and our wisdom. We pray this in your name. Amen. So you have an attached uh, study guide if you want to print it out, or I guess you could say sermon notes. We do this in church, and so if you, you may see that in the worship guide if you'd like to print that out. I should have mentioned that earlier, but we hear these words from Luke 17 as he records it this way. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled through the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance, and they cried out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when Jesus saw them, he said, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. But one of them, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. That's the word of the Lord. You know, for those of us who have experienced the grace of God in Christ Jesus, the essence of the Christian life and of our Christian character can be summed up in that one word, gratitude. We see it in this passage. We see the one who it says, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice and he threw himself at Jesus' feet, totally surrendered and thanked him, an offering of gratitude. And it says he was a Samaritan, an outsider, an outcast, because he knew the depth of his need. And that leads us to the fundamental point, the first and most important point in leading and learning the grateful life is to acknowledge our need. And in the Bible, there's lots of instances, of course, that we know of where Jesus heals people. He heals paralytics and the blind and the sick and the infirm and the demon-possessed. But of all of those different ailments, leprosy might be viewed as the one that is most analogous to our sin. Now, I want to be clear, it doesn't mean that those that had leprosy, that sin was the cause of the leprosy, but rather it was analogous to sin. Because leprosy, as you might know, is actually a disease, a contagious disease that attacks the nervous system. It destroys the nerves and the ability to feel. So, taking away the ability to feel pain, a leper might inadvertently injure himself. And as such, the disfigurement would come from infection rather than from the disease itself. I, I can relate with this a little bit. 
Um, now, five years ago this May, I had radiation on my leg before having a cancerous tumor removed. And the radiation pretty much fries all the nerve endings and capillaries in my lower leg. So I have to be careful. My wife saw me all the time about not wearing shorts because I can get a cut or a scrape and not know it. And next thing you know, it's a dangerous infection. So sin does to the body, excuse me, sin does to the soul what leprosy does to the body. And in that way, it's analogous. We're blind and numb to our condition, or as we're blind and numb to our condition, we're blind to the harm we do to ourselves and the harm we do to others. And as such, we're blind to our need for God's grace until such time as God opens our eyes to his grace and his healing. And when we come to terms with that and we realize that Jesus is our only hope and accept that gift of grace, then gratitude, as we see in our story, is the most natural response. What does this man do? He looks at himself. He remembers what it was like he sees himself healed, and he takes himself back to the source of that healing grace. And he praises God in a loud voice and throws himself at Jesus' feet and thanks him, as should we. And the summary point here is this. The deeper and more profound our experience of the healing grace of Jesus, the more lavish and extravagant, and I might add consistent, is our response. In other words, the greater the grace, the greater the gratitude, and the greater the gratitude, the greater will be our experience of joy. There's one definition of joy is joy is what we experience when we are grateful for the grace we've been given. And so when I hold this mirror up to my own life, I have to ask, well, how do my actions might reflect my attitude? Can I honestly say that I've been forgiven little? Do my actions line up with the grace that I've truly been given? And what would my life begin to look like if that renewed sense of grace and mercy was more deeply refreshed every day as I come before the cross and ask for God's help and forgiveness? One author writes this, he says, grace and gratitude are belong together like heaven and earth. Gratitude follows grace like an echo follows your voice. It's the most natural response to the gospel or like thunder follows lightning. So grace, thank you, thank you, thank you. Like the bolt of lightning, grace. And then the thunderous, thank you. I wish we were all together to say that. So an expression of gratitude before the Lord is the most natural response to God's good news, to explore all of the ways that we can surrender and offer ourselves to him. While gratitude is that offering, gratitude in scripture is also a spiritual discipline. It's commanded in verse five, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, be joyful always, pray continually, and we said, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will. So in Christ Jesus, in other words, it's both an experience and command. I have to be honest, in these times, we not, might not be generally prone to expressions of gratitude and confidence. And yet gratitude is both described in scripture and prescribed. It's not just what one feels or experiences, but it's what one does. In other words, we are to be grateful by being grateful. 
It's sort of like, as I put in the study guide, telling a crippled man to learn to walk by walking, but that's how the spiritual disciplines work. It's not some self-help or fake it till you make it sort of thing. Rather, as with all the spiritual disciplines, and gratitude is a spiritual discipline, it is an act of faith and obedience and adherence and trust and confidence in the promises of God. It's actually an expression of faith. And I remind us of all the things that Jesus affirms in the New Testament. He's most impressed with what? With acts of faith. And so gratitude is a spiritual discipline. It is an organ of perception. Gratitude, being grateful, in fact, opens our eyes in order to be grateful. George MacDonald writes, we don't see in order to obey, we obey in order to see. It sounds counterintuitive, but I'll give you an example. My, our son CJ is finishing up his doctorate in physical therapy. And when you work with a, a patient who's endured brain injury and he cannot experience any feeling in his limbs, nevertheless, the physical therapist will start exercising the limb that's affected, affected. And at first, the individual can feel nothing. But what happens is by committing to that discipline, even though there's no feeling going with it, what happens is across time, new neurons, new neural pathways open up and eventually that sensation comes back. And that's how the spiritual discipline of gratitude works. So, so how do we do this? I'll share a couple of ideas, how, at least they've been helpful to me and convicting to me at the same time. Well, first of all, we rely heavily on the scriptures as our script as prompts for prayers. When we don't know how to be grateful, the scripture become our chorus book, all right, our, our guidebook for that. And it means using the truth of scripture to remind us of who we are and who God is. You see this all the time in the Psalms. When I used to do therapy, I used to have a thing called a transactional analysis. I don't really know if they do that anymore, but if you were trying to help someone work through a problem, you would actually put two chairs out and the person would actually take one perspective in one chair and then go to the next chair and sort of talk back to themselves and have this sort of inner dialogue by physically moving from chair to chair. And you can see that in the Psalms. You can see where in fact David sits his soul down in the chair and begins to talk to himself before his self talks to him. And he says, for example, in Psalm 42, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Even though he doesn't feel it, he lets the scripture exercise within his spirit, gratitude towards God. And that is an expression of faith. So we use the scriptures as a prompt for our prayers and a reminder to let the scriptures speak the truth of God so that our own voice of fear and anxiety doesn't take over. Second, cultivate our memory. We cultivate our memory. We're all prone to spiritual amnesia and a bad memory is a gratitude killer. How quickly we can go from a moment of thanksgiving to a moment of anxiety, right? In a split second, or worry or fear. And we forget what it means to give thanks in all circumstances. And remember, if you sang along with this song, the goodness of God. And so we cultivate our memory. I was talking with my dad who some of you know will turn 100 years old, actually two weeks from this Sunday uh, when you're watching this. And I was asking, you know, of all the people who would be prone to this virus, he would be one of them at his age. I said, Dad, what are you experiencing? And with everything going on, he says, you know, 
Hey, I've seen the Roaring Twenties, I've seen the Great Depression, World War II, the 60s, 9-11. I've seen it all. And God's going to get us through this. He remembers, just like the line from the hymn Amazing Grace, "'Twas grace that's brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home." And as I said at the outset, nothing will stop the grace of God. Nothing can stop it. But we do exercise our faith in it, and we can find great comfort in Scripture to help us do this. The Scripture that can help us cultivate our memory. One of the Psalms that was in the worship guide was Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, that all that is within me, bless his holy name. And then this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and what? And forget not his benefits. Forgives all my sins, heals all my diseases, redeems my life from the pit, and crowns me with love and compassion. And so we cultivate our memory, and we tie that to the word of God. You'll find a suggestion in the worship guide to think back and reflect on the goodness of God in trying times. How was it that God's grace got you through before with the understanding that God's Spirit can then help bring forward that same confidence to the circumstances that we face today and allow us, in fact, to be thankful in spite of our circumstances? So we cultivate our memory. And even then that, what I would suggest is to allow God, through his word, to reflect and reframe those memories at times in light of scripture. This will tell you something about my personality, but Don shared an excerpt from his journal a couple of weeks ago. We've been cleaning out our house with the time on our hands, and I have found boxes and boxes and stacks of old journals, literally 40 years worth of journals. And so they're sitting in the garage, and I, I have spent some brief time going through them. And it's interesting stuff from just all walks of life over the last four decades of my life. And I wrote quite prolifically, but I have to tell you, I had to set them down because it was depressing. <laughs> I mean, certainly there were blessings in there, but as they would cycle through years and then come back to a subsequent year, I would look at my prayers, prayers that I would write out to God, and I'm thinking, man, this is depressing. I thought, you know, I wonder if God's depressed. You know, it's almost like if God was to have a conversation, Mark, you've got to stop praying like this. Your prayers are depressing me, and he's God. He doesn't like to be depressed. It's not within his nature. Now, he's not depressed, of course, but I believe he grieves at my lack of faith, and here's what I mean. There is a verse in Hebrews, powerful verse, it says this, and we'll come back to two parts of this. It says, let us approach God's, get this, throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Grace to help us in our time of need. So the image of a throne is kind of foreign to us, and it's kind of this anthropomorphic picture of God, but a throne means all-powerful. God, all-powerful, it's a symbol of eternal power and authority. I think of Psalm 8, which says, When I consider the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have put in place. In other words, the moon and the stars are its needlepoint, its finger painting for God. And here I am in my prayer life, doubting and anxious. It's almost like God says, Mark, do you not believe I can handle this? Where is your faith? I've got this. And so we're asked to bring whatever our worries and anxieties are 
to this throne of grace. And the truth is, if you're like me, you're pretty good at bringing your things to the throne of grace. The hard part is leaving them there. And that's where faith comes in. And so to apply this discipline of thanksgiving in all things means to do, to do exactly what he says, to come before this throne of grace with freedom and confidence to receive the mercy and the help that we need. So cultivating joy and gratitude as a discipline, we use the scriptures, we cultivate our memory, and we let God's word shape and redeem our circumstances across time and reflect and reframe how we see him in accordance with his word. And then finally, number four, the fourth practice is this, and this might be the most important. We practice this great gospel word, nevertheless. Nevertheless. We take you back to Hebrews 4. The first part of it, which didn't recite earlier, it says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Get this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, or I might add our anxieties or our fears, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, yet was without sin. And so I've been reflecting on the upcoming Holy Week that we will celebrate, and all four Gospels record the events in Gethsemane, where Jesus, as you might remember, asked the disciples to watch and to pray and he goes a little farther, and he falls on his face weeping and sweating, as one writer says, as if it was drops of blood. And he says, Father, if possible, take this cup from me. And all eternity hung in the balance for that moment. And there's an author, Tim Muldoon, who has written a Lenten devotional. He says this, Jesus knows what the Father has called him to do. He knows there is resurrection from the dead. He knows he's held in the loving embrace of the Father, even in death. And yet, he, Jesus, is having a crisis of faith. He's terrified. The perfectly human Jesus shows us that being overwhelmed is not antithetical to the life of faith. And as such, we can pray with ruthless honesty, authentic prayers. And I would just say that is good, albeit difficult news. Why? Why? Because if we are in a place of doubt, if we struggle to express thanksgiving in all circumstances, if the anxiety just seems to be winning out, we in fact can lean on the risen Jesus who has promised to be there and walk through this with us. And for, to ask for his help to pray the same prayer he did. Nevertheless, the last part of 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this. It says, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. And get this, in Christ Jesus. I might add, only in Christ Jesus. This is not something we can do by ourselves. This is something where our only hope is to draw close to him. And we're not meant to go through this alone. He is the source of our gratitude so he looks for us to step out in faith. Yes, gratitude is a spiritual discipline, but he promises when we do that, that he will be with us and help us move through even the most difficult of times with Thanksgiving. I wish I had time to tell you of the different encounters that we've had over the last week of people in our very congregation who, though faced with incredibly difficult circumstances, I have seen the Lord in them. I have seen the Lord persevering in them 
and seeing them persevering through very difficult times and circumstances. Trying to find ways to share that more readily as a congregation. So as I wrap up here, the first and most fundamental thing that we learn from this leper who comes back is that it begins with acknowledging our need and surrendering our gratitude at the feet of Jesus. And in that, we then walk in faith by applying the scriptures in our lives, by using them to guide us and to develop healthy ways of seeing our circumstance. We cultivate our memory. We seek God's goodness throughout our life. And we let his word, by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, shape how we see those experiences. And then last but not least, we rest in the promise that God is walking through this with us. And we ask him, we ask him for a heart to be thankful. I put this poem in your worship guide. It's, the language is a bit awkward, but it's by George Herbert. It says, Lord, you have given so much to me. Give one more thing, meaning we ask Jesus for this. Give one more thing, a grateful heart. Not a thankful heart when it pleases me, as if your blessings had spare days, but such a heart whose pulse would be thy praise. So the hymn that you're going to sing is a familiar one, Jesus paid it all. And I love the first line. I hear the Savior say, your faith indeed is small, child of weakness. Watch and pray and find where? Find in me. You're all in all. Amen. Let's worship together.